0: Hello and welcome to the continuation of the cinephile's journey through the world of romance. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California.
1: Hello everyone. My name is John a writer, producer, and host, and uh, voiceover artist in San Diego, California.
0: It's funny. I like all the movies that are in our list that we picked, but none of them move me. None of them are quite as powerful for me as this one, which is we are re-releasing part one and two of Remains of the Day.
1: Yeah, this one is one that has always stuck with me since the first time I saw it, Steve, because of the wonderful performances from Anthony Hopkins and um, Emma Thompson and being an Anglophile myself, seeing this approach to this unrequited romance that was that is so powerful and so um, impacting when you witness it and watch it in the movie uh, that there's this sense of tragedy behind it. And what what um, great love story, uh, it doesn't have like a little bit of tragedy attached to it in some way, shape or form. Uh, and to see it here in such an interesting way, in such a um, uh, powerful way, I thought w- it was incredible to
0: witness and to discuss on the show. And it's funny, our first Valentine's Day film was Punch Drunk Love. And I was just suddenly going... That has got to be as far away from remains of the day as you could possibly get. Like Punch Drunk Love is all about a person who cannot control their emotions. Right. Remains of the Day is all about a person with way too much control over their emotions. They can't let their emotions out. You know, you kind of wish that Adam Sandler could could give Anthony Hopkins a little nudge forward, like, no, you actually can express some of these feelings. Oh, I think quite a few people tried to give him a nudge forward,
1: including Emma Thompson in the movie, but he was not budging, you know, and I I, this what I love about the film is him realizing by the end how this approach to the world had damaged him and that if at least finally realizing it um, turns him into a better person for however long he has left on the planet.
0: Well and that's what's what's so profound about this movie is all the things that aren't said. You know, yeah. it's all of it's all of the looks, it's all of the tiny tiny little details, it's yeah. all of the restraint and it's also having living through the the vision of this not so reliable narrator, you know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And love isn't always ending up together in the end, right? And I th- uh, and I think this is a great choice for us in our week of movies that we're doing to honor valentine's day because it's a it's a different approach to this uh, idea of love and what it can do to people and all of that is also um, a part of love you know people think it's only just this beautiful feeling it's also what this feeling can do to you and how it can affect you and i think that's important just to have as a
0: part of our valentine's day uh a tribute and just to reinforce that how many people out here listening don't have this story of their unrequited love yeah you know i I think we all do i think we all had that and so without further ado we're going back to the manor houses of england for remains of the day i'm afraid you can't talk to me like this miss kenton
2: i'm afraid i must mr stevens i'm giving you serious advice whatever your father once was he no longer has the same ability
3: or strength i thank you for your advice miss kenton Now, perhaps you'll allow me to go about my business.
2: Oh, I never meant to keep you from your business, Mr. Stevens. Thank you.
0: welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film, we explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I am a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California.
1: Hello, everyone. My name is John Roke. I'm a writer, producer, and host here in Los Angeles, voiceover artist and CEO of The Outlaw Nation, and lover of British movies that deal with an upstairs-downstairs kind of approach. So I'm very excited that we're getting into this movie steve i know you wouldn't think that a son of immigrants from a south american country would find some kind of massive connection with these kinds of british people from the 1900s and and beyond but for whatever reason these movies just are absolutely
0: my language man um, And the movie we are talking about is today is Remains of the Day. Mm. And we are discussing it because it is a Patreon pick. John R. Merlino has requested we discuss Remains of the Day. And rather than us telling you why we think this is an interesting movie for the cinephiles, let's hear his reasons. Hi, John and Steve. This is John in Staten Island, New York. For years, I have listened to you discuss your own relationship struggles and career regrets and how difficult it is to recognize and pass on life's lessons. It's what I enjoy most about your show. When The Remains of the Day premiered in 1993, I was a college student who adored this movie and pledged to never be so devoted to work and blind to the events and people around me as Mr. Stevens. But now, decades later, being fortunate enough to be a father and husband, I sympathize with a man still fooling himself who finds out too late that he could have done things differently. Christopher Reeve gives a scene-stealing performance, daring the viewer to reach through the screen and throttle Hopkins out of his self-imposed slumber. Let's try and help him one more time. Thanks, guys.
1: (laughs) Wow. Powerful words from John. It's good to see that this film still touches people nowadays because this is one that could get lost, but there are some people who still love this film, me included. So I'm very happy that John does, and he suggested it for us to talk about on the show.
0: Do you remember how you first came to Remains of the Day? Oh, yeah. I couldn't wait to see this one. I mean, this is Hopkins at the height of Hopkins mania. This is Emma
1: Thompson coming off of Henry V, coming off a, a couple other films that I'd seen her in British films. Peter's Friends, I think, uh, which was the Brana, uh, one of Brana's uh, films. And I just I was really so... like that
0: movie. I haven't yeah. seen it forever, but I really like Peter's
1: Friends. It's a cute little movie. And also Dead Again. People forget about Dead oh, Again, yeah. which was after uh, Henry V as well. But either way, I, I was so excited about this. Plus, I have, a oh, as as Steve knows, and as the, many of you listening know, I am an Anglophile. I love British things. And like this was the first thing I'd seen that had some semblance of the old 70s, I think 70s a show upstairs, downstairs. So I was so into seeing this and I couldn't wait to go see it. And yes, I will admit it fully. There was a bit of snobbery on my part because... I didn't have any friends who wanted to go see this movie with me at the time, and I felt a bit above them that I could appreciate a film like this. And it was everything I could have wanted and more. I think I went back three more times to see wow. it. And even revisiting it again for our, um, our our podcast, I was so incredibly happy to watch this film and uh, enjoy, if you can say that word, the uh, relationships and the... I don't know, and the subtlety that is going on here in this film—the very powerful subtlety going on in the film.
0: First of all, just in my opinion, you were superior to all those other people (laughs) that didn't want to go to see. That seems obvious to me. Um, I, I saw it. I saw it in the theater in Lafayette, California, where Karen and I, that was where Mm -hmm. we first shacked up together right after we started dating. And uh, so I saw it there. I remember just sobbing in the theater when I saw it. And in particular, there's this one scene that I've never forgotten. I think I've only seen it once or twice since then. I hadn't seen it in a really long time. Um, There's a really interesting thing about the people that came together to make this film. The first one, of course, is Kazuo Ishiguro, who is the Nobel Prize winning author of the film. He is a fascinating person. He was born in Nagasaki in 1954. So that's nine years after the atomic bomb. And then he was raised in England and he was a, a choir boy, apparently had an angelic voice. But the musicians he loved were folk musicians. He loved Bob Dylan, Joni Mitchell, Leonard Cohen. He went from being a grouse beater for the queen mother at Balmoral Castle. Wow. A grouse beater is the person, for those of you who don't know, is when you're going out to hunt your grouse, you'd have a bunch of servants making noise and banging so the grouse would fly off the ground so the queen mother could shoot one. So that was his first, that's like he's a teenager. And then he goes off to the united states because he wanted to be a singer songwriter (laughs) a folk singer so he hitchhiked around the u.s with long hair in the summer of love with a guitar on his back ended up in berkeley hate ashbury he was living the full hippie lifestyle so we have a guy born in japan who had been a beater for the queen mother a choir boy now a hippie traveling around the U S and then it gives up on being a singer songwriter. Although he does write lyrics that are for, for, I forget who, who does his songs and then becomes writes this book about the perfect English Butler as British a book, as you could possibly imagine. Um, And what he thought was that he says, by the way, he knew nothing about butlers, (laughs) (laughs) nothing at all. Um, And he, but he thought it was the perfect metaphor (sighs) To show a wasted life, wasted both emotionally and politically. That's what he said. Wow. Um, yeah, okay.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, I will say so, this.
0: It did, did strike me in a political
1: way watching it this time around. But yes, go ahead. Sorry, Steve. Uh,
0: yeah. Uh, uh, James Ivory read the book, loved it, tried to get the rights, couldn't get the rights. Columbia had already bought it. Uh, and they had hired Harold Pinter to write the script, one of the Ooh. great playwrights of all time. Yeah. And they brought on Mike Nichols to direct. So Mike Nichols is going to direct a Harold Pinter script. Originally he wanted, it was going to be Jeremy Irons and Meryl Streep. And Nichols had a fantastic relationship with Meryl Streep had worked with her in a bunch of movies. They were good friends. And then the decision is made. Uh, he's in the middle of doing Wolf. Um and he just doesn't have the time, and so he, th- then they ca- call up Merchant Ivory and say, "Hey, are you guys interested in?" And James Ivory's like, "Yeah, this is what <laughs> I want. I want to do it when the book came out." And here's the thing: Mike Nichols is the child of German immigrant Jews. He just managed he was, to escape the Holocaust. He was born in '31 and escaped in '39 hmm. to New York. So we have Ishiguro, who was born in Japan, raised in England, travels around, wants to be a hippie folk singer. We have Mike Nichols, born in Germany. Um, becomes a huge comic and then a Broadway director and then a film director. And now I didn't really know anything about Merchant and Ivory other mm-hmm. than having seen their movies. Right. So first of all, neither of them nor their screenwriter are British. None of them are British, <laughs> even though they're just known for Howard end yeah. and room with a the view, these incredibly British films. So James Ivory born in Berkeley. He could have been he could have been there when, wow. when Ishiguro showed up as a hippie. Who knows? Wow. Um, and he uh decides he wants to be a filmmaker and he meets is- Ismail Merchant in 61. Mm-hmm. Now, Ismail Merchant is born in India. Yeah. He saw one of James Ivory's documentaries. They say, Hey, you want to make a film with me? And they start making films. Ivory had never made a, a theatrical film, a drama. They are the not only are they the longest independent film partnership in the history of cinema, they made movie together for 40 years and they had made 40 films together. Wow. But here's because I didn't know anything about them, and I can't believe I didn't know that. They're also a couple. Oh, I didn't know that. I knew
1: Ismail was Indian. I didn't know James Ivory. Wasn't born in Britain, but
0: I did not know they were a couple either. Wow. Okay. They had they were in a relationship from the time they met until Merchant's death in 2005. That's incredible. Isn't that crazy? And I never knew that. Yeah. And then we have their screenwriter who they worked with over and over again. Her name is Ruth Proward Jahabavala. Mm-hmm. She was born in 1927 in Germany, Jewish dad was arrested by the Nazis for being a communist. She was there for Kristallnacht and she fled Germany the same year Mike Nichols did in 1939. She fled to England. She lived through the blitz. Her dad committed suicide and she married an Indian man, Cyrus Jahabavala, which is a name I obviously can't say. And (laughs) she moved to India to become a novelist. And she wrote novels in Hindi. She won the Booker prize and she met merchant in 1963. And wow. so right after they started making movies together and she basically wrote almost every one of their screenplays, wow. um, including Room with a View and Howard's End. So what she won uh, and she won an Oscar for Room with a View and an Oscar for Howard's End. So she won mm-hmm. two Oscars. So we have the Japanese guy raised in England, folk singer who writes a, a British uh, novel. We have Mike Nichols, the German Jewish comedian producer Mm -hmm. we have james ivory born in berkeley married to or in a a couple with they were never married ismail merchant from india and then we have the jewish german holocaust survivor who married an indian man lived in india and they are writing the quintessential british drama and i just what so (laughs) blows my mind about this is that they're all outsiders right they're they're all out of place they're all people that had to live in worlds where they didn't quite fit in. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And I think that just makes so much sense for making this movie about Mm -hmm. Mr. Stevens and Miss Kenton. Well, sometimes
1: from looking from the outside, you're able to see it in a way that people inside or too close to it can't. And so um, that's a powerful thing. So many... How many uh, there have been great uh, filmmakers from uh, who are immigrant filmmakers have made incredible films about America. So it's Absolutely. like it's, it's no different. You're just you're able to remove yourself a little bit from the situation. And certainly um, uh, the novelist uh, had experience with royalty so that certainly could have leaned on that a little bit to actually create the atmosphere of the book you know so cuz these lords and ladies at the time were kind of mini royalty so
0: the, the the approach or the vibe or the atmosphere is, is kind of relevant or it's the same similar yeah uh, by the way ishiguro who's a fairly young guy when this was starting off was very honored to be like wait the guys that made the movies about em forester and henry james <laughs> like they're making my book that's kind of cool
1: yeah
0: uh the budget was 11 million dollars which is not a big Jesus. budget wow it was entirely shot on location none mm-hmm. of this is a set there are no sets in this every single house every interior that's all real places <laughs> would you like to get into remains of the day let's do it let's do it So we start off with just a picture of Darlington Hall, and then we sort of, through an iris, we go into a car that's driving on a beautiful country road, and we begin hearing a letter.
2: Dear Mr. Stevens, you will be surprised to hear from me after all this time. You have been in my thoughts ever since I heard that Lord Darlington
0: had died. There's so much incredible language in it. It's gonna mm-hmm. be tempting for me to say all of it, and I'm gonna really try to restrain <laughs> myself. But what we hear basically, it's a letter from Emma Thompson's character, Miss Kenton or Mrs. Benz, to Mr. Stevens, the Anthony Hopkins character. And she's just reminiscing about the time a long time ago. She thought about her years at Darlington Hall after Lord Darlington died. And we hear that the no one wanted to buy this big estate and they were gonna tear this whole place down and we cut to an auction mm-hmm. and there, sitting at the auction is christopher reeve yeah yeah um who's great in this movie one of
1: those rare uh movies that isn't a superman movie where christopher reeve really stands out you know there are there aren't that many steve somewhere in time yeah. um was it sleuth the one he did where it, i think that was one as well and then uh, like,
0: he's in noises off he's in... noises off right right yeah, there are a uh, few others. It, it, he apparently was in The out. Bostonians, which is another Merchant Ivory oh, film yeah. which I I had not I've never seen. I um and Bostonians. he was at the premiere of Howard's End and he was apparently sitting behind Merchant and Ivory and after Howard's End ended Christopher Reeve went up to him and said, "Listen, any part you have in your next movie don't <laughs> care what it is i want to be in your next movie and they're like well we don't really know and then they suddenly realize oh we have the perfect part for you yeah and that is how he became uh congressman lewis yep. well let um, me clarify
1: sorry it's not sleuth it's it's uh, it's a uh, uh, death trap that's the one which death trap similar, yes right oh i remember that movie. And Good. yeah
0: yeah um and he has bidden like crazy for some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> to, you know, we're seeing these beautiful paintings and things like that. And we hear that there's this American that in the letter that, oh, American millionaire saved Darlington Hall. And she wonders if it's the same Congressman Lewis who was there in 1936. Yeah. Um, and we see Hopkins. In this beautiful mansion, this British country house, opening the windows. By the way, I love when he plays the older version of himself, the Mm. way he sort of juts his chin out. Mm -hmm. Like he does all these little things that, because there's not a lot of makeup. Yeah. Very minimal makeup. And yet he manages to convey age and world weariness so beautifully and they're just these beautiful bits of direction we see anthony hopkins walking through this room and there are three butlers other butlers sitting waiting and as he walks by they disappear
1: it's just a nice um foreshadowing of what this film is going to do constantly jump back and forth in time Uh, and both hopkins and emma thompson do a fantastic job aging as the film goes along in the, um, we see them age into their roles. The makeup is exquisite, the body positioning, the acting, the movements, as you said, great to notice the chin jutting out. That's him still trying to be on top of everything and feel like he can handle, and he becomes, we'll get to it, but in essence, he starts to become his father by the end of the movie, uh, or not by the end, but in certain moments of uh, showing him older in years uh, in the movie. So yeah, you love that.
2: In the seven years since I last wrote to you, I have again left my husband and sad to say, my marriage seems
0: to be finally over. And then there's this moment where as we're hearing that, he is looking through this circular window in a door Mm -hmm. and we see Emma Thompson come around the corner and is walking straight towards us in a very, very slow dissolve. She disappears. Yeah, yeah. I, I really think she haunts this house for Stevens. Well, she haunts Stevens. Yeah. She haunts I'd, Stevens. Yeah, I don't think he can take a step in this house that he doesn't think of her. After she arrives, she is a constant in his mind and
1: will be until the end of his life. And you see it. The house has moved on. He has not. And um, as we're going to find out in the scene in a few seconds or a few minutes, um, he takes this opportunity when she, he hear we, we hear that she's left her husband to think that he could bring her back into service, and repeat what they had done, what we're going to see that they had done in their younger years.
0: We, we end up at breakfast, and there's uh, Christopher Reeve eating breakfast, and Stevens pockets a piece of burnt toast, <laughs> and unfortunately, Lewis, his boss, notices it. Burned again? Yes,
3: I'm sorry, sir. The um... The rule in the kitchen here, sir, has always been that cook cooks the cooked breakfast while her assistant toasts the toast.
0: And the way I think they're toasting the toast is like over an open fire or something. Yeah, yeah basically that. <laughs> and, and Lewis is like, well, why don't you just get a toaster? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and and Stephen's very traditional says. I said, well, we need not a new gadget, but a revised staff plan, sir. And then we hear it's just as you say. He's going to take a trip into the country and he might have a solution to this. Former housekeeper at present living in Clevedon
3: has indicated to me, sir, that she might be prepared to return to service.
4: What's this, your
0: girlfriend? (laughs) And this is one of many times where you watch Hopkins, who's one of my favorite actors of all time, do react to something in the smallest and subtlest of ways. Like yeah, his performance is stunning. Ladies and gentlemen,
1: what you need to understand is the difference between film acting and theater acting are two are, are it's it's a grand canyon. It's literally a grand canyon. Film acting, you have to understand that the most limited movement can can speak volumes. Whereas on stage, there's a little more of trying to reach the people in the back so they understand. Doesn't mean you you overdo it or anything, it's just a different approach. Hopkins so mastered the medium of film swinging into the 80s and through the 90s and, of course, onward. But this was where he really kind of made people stand up and take notice of his talent because he'd been acting since the late 60s. I mean, Lion and Winter, for God's sake. So, yeah, it wasn't till this kind of turn in the late 80s into the 90s that these these projects really took advantage of his talent. And he, he had grown. As as an actor on film that the he understood how to play this part and give it such nuance in the little movements of his eyes or his face. And it was just brilliant to watch him work again when I watched it again.
0: I, I was gonna say this later, but since you brought mm. this up, this is what this is what Anthony Hopkins says about film acting. Mm. He says, Your job is to walk around very quietly and be still. You <laughs> yeah. you don't add anything, you subtract. Yeah. Less is more, just say your lines.
1: A lot of actors don't like to hear that. A lot of actors
0: have trouble with that, but that's absolutely true. Well, I think there's styles of acting because like, Mm -hmm. you know, that's certainly not how Al Pacino is acting in, you know, (laughs) Scent of a Woman or in, you know, uh, Scarface or something. Like that's not, you know, there are performances that aren't like that, but for what Anthony Hopkins is doing,
1: you know. But I would argue, what well, we just finished with Godfather, and I know you, you're loath to go back in there, but Michael, in yes. some of those steely, quiet moments in two Absolutely. and uh, one and two, is doing kind of what Hopkins does here, uh, with just the little cock of the head or the movement. It's it's incredible, you know. And so, yeah.
0: And so we see Anthony Hopkins drive away in this unbelievably gorgeous car Yeah, <laughs> with Christopher Reeve taking pictures as he as he goes. Mm-hmm. Um, his character is really interesting, by the way. I, I love I love Chris Reeve in this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, by the way, they had to shoot this scene of him driving on the same day they shot the auction because mm-hmm. they could only afford to rent the period cars for one day. <laughs> And that's this thing that people don't understand about filmmaking. It's like you had to schedule. So that means that they had to schedule the locations right near each other. That means that they had to make sure what time of day they finished. They probably did the driving in the morning because it was more exterior and -hmm. the auctions. You could fake the lighting more. So they did that in the afternoon. You know what I mean? There's so many things that just like we can only afford these cars one day. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
3: This is Ben. Will you permit me once again to sing your praises? Let me state that when you left us to get married, no housekeeper ever managed to reach your high standard in any
1: department. I want to say real quick, the groundwork is being laid here for the entire movie. And I know I, we, I mentioned it earlier, the idea of jumping back and forth the time. That's more of a technique, right? But yeah. what the feeling, the vibe, the sentiment of this movie is progress. And the people who are left behind by this progress. And if you watch down, it's so funny to watch this movie. After having seen Downton Abbey, because Downton Abbey chronicles the changes between the servants and their masters, well, lack of a better term, lords or ladies, and the servants of the house um, as the years progress, right? And in this movie, we are seeing two different time gaps, right? The time before World War II, uh, and then the time uh, a little bit after, and how things had changed. World War II changed everything for yeah. so many countries. And this idea of separation between the lower classes and the upper classes became something that the lower classes felt very angry about and pushed back on uh, even more so than in times past and it affected across the world. And so what we're seeing that here, but we're also seeing how how, uh, um, how Stevens, Mr. Stevens communicates with Ms. Kenton, how Miss Kenton communicates with Mr. Stevens. Um, subtly, between the lines, underneath everything I'm saying is my love for you, yet I can't express it in an overt way. Uh, And this is what we're going to see is the pattern
0: throughout the whole movie and the tragedy of the whole movie, even from the beginning. That's one of the weird things that I was thinking about as we're going to approach doing this episode is that we could explain everything that happens and say all the lines <laughs> and you wouldn't understand what this movie was mm-hmm. because n- almost nothing that is important is ever said nope you know nope. it's all it's all in subtext yeah it's yeah. all in looks and postures and and tone and mm-hmm. it, it, it it's so interesting by the way this movie i reread the book uh mm. oh it's not not a terribly long book it's it very much follows The book, the book and the movie are very, very similar, Mm. Uh, structurally similar. A lot of the dialogue is just straight out of the book. Mm -hmm. One of the interesting things, and I'll get into it as we go, is that the tone is oh so subtly different. Mm. The book is way darker in the oh. sense even though all the same stuff happens right because the whole book is narrated by Stevens it's his thoughts as oh, wow. he's on this drive to go see this woman that he you know we realize he's always been in love with right. is that it's him reminiscing and what what Ishiguro said is that he was interested in the process of people sifting through memories trying to make sense of things mm. <laughs> and that's what Stevens is doing and because you're in his head mm-hmm. he is such a sad he's so delusional about his life or he's holding on so hard to these ideas and to not face what his life really is and so it's a very it's it's a very painful
1: book to read and i wonder if you know writers are driven to write from something inside and i would love to know what Ishiguro was working out within himself that, that spawned
0: this book you know yeah well, I mean, it's interesting, you know, because I go to this kid who's born in Japan who mm. moves to England and what, again, it's what you said before. It's the observer and the, mm. Mm. you know, feeling disconnected and, you know, I I mean, I don't know, but that's what I would assume. But does he and, feel
1: he wasted his life pursuing being a, a, a
0: singer or songwriter and never succeeding in that yeah. level? I wonder. Maybe. But anyway, yeah. Um, And now we see our first real vision of the past because we mm. go back to. Darlington Hall at a hunt, and (laughs) there are all these guys on horses, and we see Lord Darlington for the first time, which is James Fox, who's incredible in this film. Yes, yes. Absolutely fantastic. And by the way, (laughs) so they had a very hard time finding locations for this movie. They went all over England, all over Ireland. Most of these giant houses have either been torn down, turned into like apartments or hotels (sighs) or gift shops or museums. like actual houses that are still as they were are really hard to find and the national trust which operates all these places really didn't want a movie crew there Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so like they get to this house they only shot the exterior of this place and ivory goes well we need to open up the door and open up the shades and they and the national trust people say you will not open up the door (laughs) you will not touch you can be in front of the house that's it and apparently ismail merchant is very charming yeah. Apparently, he gets people to give them stuff for no money or break the rules all the time. <laughs> it sounds like Ivory and Merchant are a fantastic team. That's the way it should be. Yeah. Could, would you ever have wanted to go on one of these hunts? <laughs> to go on a fox
1: hunt, Steve? I'm telling you. I, I said <laughs> I, I was. I watched it this morning in bed while Lily was sleeping next to me, and I and I she rolled over. She's like. This is so boring, this movie. I'm like, I can't explain it to you, but I love this time. I have a connection to this time for whatever reason. And I said, I think either I was a lord or I was a butler in a past life in one of these houses or something or a footman. Because I love this time. I love the visuals of it. And I don't look. I, I know. I, I hate the rich in our country but for whatever reason i love the old rich in the brit in the british uh british uh, the uk and this moment of the fox hunt i would love to be out there with a fox hunt on the horse and you know pip pip and all that shit it would be fantastic (laughs) for whatever reason i can't explain
0: it i have a a organic love of that kind of thing i can't explain it i i'm i love the era too and i love kind of how the world works the whole fox hunt thing's like wait we got like a bunch of guys on horses and like yeah. 20 dogs yeah. we are going to chase down one poor little fox. Right. It seems like a it seems like a mismatch. Um, right, but it's also a subtle character thing about uh,
1: James Fox's character because he didn't want to go on the hunt. Yeah, he he want- hates these hunts. So yeah. this is a guy that already is presented in a way that is a little softer of sensibility, softer of hearts, a little more sympathetic, a little more kinder. And that is what gets manipulated by the Germans uh, as the movie goes along.
0: Well, it's so the 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 delusionalness of mm. uh, of the ruling class, mm-hmm. or their inability to see certain elements of reality. Right. Because I think you're exactly right about him. He is a very gentle person. He is mm-hmm. he he his motivations are all compassion, and mm-hmm. he does a bunch of stuff that's not not good. Right. You know. Um. And, and I love to you just see this sea of servants with <laughs> you know drinks and things that they're handing out and there's even this moment where we have stevens anthony hopkins character holding a drink to a guy on a horse just who's completely ignoring him i love that you know because and and that's fine that yeah. is as it should be stevens is his job is to hold the drink it's yeah. do, it doesn't matter whether or not they take it it's a great job by um, have already issued that little moment yeah and then we hear in Steven's letter to that he fears he must he can remember when she first showed up, and he fears he must have been a little unwelcoming. Uh, if two members
3: of staff happen to fall in love and decide to get married, there is nothing one can say. But what I do find a major irritation are those persons who are simply going from post to post looking for romance.
0: And this is a real problem, John, that happens with servants, as you know. Well, of it, course. Romance comes in and that's very bad.
1: <laughs> Listen, <laughs> when you're stuck in a one place for your entire life, this is all you have to choose from. So eventually yeah. you will find somebody to feel something for.
0: Well, it, what's so funny is it's the, it's, it, well, this is what the whole movie's about is the subjugating of self to yeah. the profession. Good point. And so in my mind, like when, when, when I did the assistance, mm-hmm. there were two marriages that came out of that production. You know, two people who met on the set who fell in love and got married. That's awesome. Like, that just makes me feel great as the director. Like, oh, I'm so glad that that happened for you. In this world, that distracts from you doing the job you are supposed to do. And therefore, that is a betrayal to fall in love and get married.
2: I know from my own experience how a house is at sixes and sevens once the staff start marrying each other.
0: Emma Thompson is so good in this movie. And... Her nervousness in this scene and, the you know, her trying to show that she's, she's on his side is great.
5: Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.
0: Um, we end up in the library. This is, they shot, by the way, in five different houses, you know, so different oh. rooms in different houses, um, because you couldn't get everything you wanted in one place. Right. Um, so like the back stairs, all the servants' quarters and hallways and stuff, that's in one place. This mm-hmm. library is in another place. This was the one room that the literal lord who owns this house said they could not shoot in. They was like, mm-hmm. this is my private library. You can shoot in the other rooms. You can't shoot here. <laughs> and Ismail Merchant convinced him <laughs> to let them shoot there. Um, and in comes Anthony Hopkins to say that he's hired this very qualified woman, Miss Kenton. And that he also needs to replace the under butler, and that there's this gentleman of a with a lot of experience of a certain age, who was a butler in his own right and now needs no longer has a place. Name? Uh, Stevens, sir. Stevens? Yes, sir. That's your name. This is my father, sir. In any other reality, you would say that first. Yeah, right. <laughs> and and even the way he speaks to his father and the way he speaks about his father is so formal throughout this whole film. Yeah. And the Lord says we well, couldn't do better. Stephen says, "Well, he's outside the door, and we're going to bring him in." And there was a debate on the set whether or not the butler, the older Stephen Senior, should shake the Lord's hand. Oh yeah! And the actual Lord, whose library this is, is is sitting there watching the shoot, and he said, "Absolutely not! Wow! They would never shake hands, Mister Stevens. How do you do, my Lord?" This guy's great casting.
1: Yeah, this is Peter Vaughn. If you've seen Game of Thrones, he was Master Aemon in Game of Thrones. Mm. And So this he's been working for such a long time, like such a long time. And he's perfect here. They aged him up a little bit more. To dig on this role uh, and he's just exquisite man he's exquisite in this in this role and looks like anthony hopkins totally. has great back and forth with him you know and certainly if you're going to go toe-to-toe with anthony hopkins having a fantastic resume uh makes it feel like you can you know like kind of play his dad and, and his superior in a way so he gives no quarter throughout their interactions through the whole movie
0: the resistance in this film to the actual expression of human feeling yeah. is so profound.
1: Very
6: good man here, your son. I not know what we'd do without him. Proud of him, are you? Very
0: proud of lot Lord. Quite right too. It, it is formally saying the thing that you're supposed to say, mm-hmm, rather mm-hmm. than saying what you think, mm-hmm. you know? And that's <laughs> like this whole movie. Mm-hmm. Even walking upstairs with dad, you can see dad's old. Yep, the foreshadowing that breath is there. He's yeah. slow, and we see Stevens looking out the window, and he watches Emma Thompson walk on this beautiful lawn. And already we know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And Miss Kenton goes out and cuts some ferns and some flowers, and she comes to his parlor, to Stevens's parlor.
2: Mister Stevens, I thought these might brighten your parlor a little.
0: And rather than saying thank you, he says But I
3: regard this. Room is my private place of work, and I I prefer to keep distractions
1: to a minimum. So, wait, certainly flowers are not a distraction, Mr. Stevens. <laughs> I love that. Well, the thing is, is like, she is the flower. She, she is, is the, the distraction. Yes, she is. He, I had a perfect world set up until you showed up with your, your femininity and your womans and your wiles and your good looks, and you're messing up my perfect world, right? And it's so brilliant how that plays, how that's all bubbling under the surface as they're having this interaction.
0: But what's so sad is the perfect world's not perfect. Oh, of course not. But he, it's an he, empty world. I mean, it it and maybe it is perfect. Maybe that is exactly it. It is perfect. Perfect right? It is cold and rigid and
1: perfect. Every, and, he knows where everything goes and it yeah. keeps him, yeah. And
3: then he asks. I happened to be uh, walking past the kitchen yesterday morning and I heard you calling to someone named William. May I ask who it was you were addressing by that name?
2: Why, Mr. Stevens, I should think I was addressing your father.
0: Oh. May I ask you to address him as Mr. Stevens or Mr. Stevens Sr. so as not to confuse him with me? (laughs) The horribleness of Stevens and condescension and nastiness and the Wait, really you think that you think that that's oh it yeah. is? really okay all well, right he
3: says he says scanton if you would stop to think for a moment you would realize that how inappropriate it is for one such as yourself to address as william someone such
1: as my father what he's doing here he's he's an emotional infant yes. honestly and so, if you judge him by a normal, level-headed you know, person who's aware of his emotions, he is absolutely a condescending jerk. But he's doing this because he doesn't have the tools to communicate in a way that's respectful to her. And he's also kind of subtly upset that he has these feelings for her. And so, he's trying to, in a way, destroy her so that he doesn't have to feel that way. And none of it works throughout the whole movie. She pushes through all of it throughout, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't think he's an overtly unkind man. I just think he's an emotional infant, and um, yeah, unfortunately, she has to deal with that. So you're you're right in that respect, Steve. Though for sure,
0: I, I think it's I think what it is is because I agree with you is that mm. it's we see how she takes it. We oh, see yeah. how insensitive right. to her that he is. Well, and it's also what's so interesting about this movie. This guy takes so much of his status from placing himself in a position of low status. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: You know what I mean? Oh, great point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like well, he's but the butler is the lord of the servants exactly in a way. Yeah, yeah, good point. He's yeah. the lord of the servants. Mm-hmm. You know, and so and so his if his father is being called William, and he is the son of his father, well, that demeans his status. You're right. You know, absolutely. Um, and, and but she is just pissed. I love yeah. I love pissed Emma Thompson. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, I'm sure, Mr. Stevens, it must have been very galling for your father to be called William by one such as myself.
0: (laughs) And then to make it even worse, she's like, you could learn many things from my father. Oh, God. Yeah. And then she just kind of is like, oh, I'm sure. And this is mansplaining, right?
1: Now that we look at it, this is mansplaining in essence. And uh, yeah, she has her uh, retort back to him and then walks out. And I love this reaction from Stevens, He's, he tries to stop her, and then he goes, huh, <laughs> and then takes a sip away. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, it's him trying to reclaim his manhood in that moment, as clumsily as Thor does in Ragnarok, when that ball bounces <laughs> off the window and hits him in the face, you know?
0: Uh, so I love it. First of all, again, only on the cinephiles <laughs> you get that particular comparison. <laughs> I can't even begin to describe all the things that Anthony Hopkins does. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what they are, but you're totally <laughs> right. That moment, there's a little laugh and he takes the drink and there's so much in it. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, Emma Thompson A. is hilarious. She's oh, yeah. on the commentary track. Oh. And uh, she's really fun. It's not the greatest commentary track, but okay. but she is a delight. Oh, <laughs> Jesus, I got to listen is, to her commentary on she's this. She's so funny. This is what she, she said. She hated that hairstyle. <laughs> first of all it took like two hours to get it right and then she had to sleep in curlers with a corduroy hat every night to not mess it up and she described herself with that hair as the least sexy object on the on the set and she says that hairstyle destroyed her sex life for three months <laughs>
1: hey, she was married to braun at the time that's, that's oh i guess
0: thing. that's true right yeah well um, I,
1: I think she's absolutely beautiful in this movie me too. hairstyle or not She's radiant throughout, and I would disagree with her that she's not sexy in the movie. She has a a sexiness to her as a a powerful woman.
0: Um, Every little glimpse of how this house works is fascinating to Mm. me, Mm. because it's ridiculous. (laughs) Um, And we're at the servants' table with Stevens at the head, and there we have uh, an under-butler who is the up-and-coming under-butler, Charlie, Ben Chaplin. Ben, ben Chaplin, a young Ben Chaplin,
3: yeah. I'd like to be a butler, to be called Mr. and not Charlie, and sit in my own pantry by my own fire, smoking my cigar.
0: And we talk about what makes a great butler. And without hesitation, Mr. Stephen Sr. says dignity. Mm-hmm. And then he tells the story.
6: There was this English butler in India. One day, he goes in the dining room and wants his see under the table. A tiger. He goes straight to the drawing room. (laughs) Excuse me, my lord. And whispering so as not to upset the
0: ladies. I'm very sorry. There appears to be a tiger in the dining room. Perhaps his lordship will permit use of the twelve boars. And they hear three shots, which in India is very common. And then the butler comes back to refresh the teapots. He says, cool as a cucumber. Dinner
6: will be served at the usual time, my lord. And I'm pleased to say there will be no discernible traces left of the recent occurrence by that time.
0: (laughs) And everyone laughs at the story. This story is directly from the book. It's exactly Mm. from the book. I think this story is the heart of the entire movie. Okay. The butler who has to face the tiger. Yeah but does it without any emotional response and without any inconvenience to the Lord. That yeah. is the height of this profession. That Great is the point. goal. Great point, man. And I think we're gonna see him deal with his versions of the tiger under the table multiple times in this yeah. movie.
1: I think this is also a window into their relationship as father and son. Mm-hmm. He's, a, he's a parable father, by the way, to have created a son that is so emotionally repressed such an emotional infant. And then to have that deathbed conviction later on, what a what a terrible mental fuck you as well. But like this moment, he probably is when he was younger, like Stevens commanding the table. Um, And the fact that now that he's older and Stevens, he can be a little impish, he can be a little rogue and tell this story out of turn uh, in the situation because he's taking a little bit of license with his son. He knows his son. He's not going to reprimand him in front of all these other people. And so it's a fascinating uh, window into their relationship, and it'll keep happening as they have their interactions and as Stevens Sr. deteriorates.
0: One of the interesting things about him, by the way, is his Mm -hmm. accent. Which is that he mm. doesn't have the high class, sophisticated accent that Stevens has. Yeah. He's a lower class accent. Mm. And there's some stuff in the book about that, that what was expected of a butler had changed, mm-hmm. you know, in the last 30 years. Stevens, he sounds like, which ends up happen, affecting things later on, he sounds like the upper crust. Yes. That's how he speaks. Uh, later on, dad is sweeping the stairs. He's obviously tired or doesn't yeah. feel well. He disappears through a hidden door. There are a lot of <laughs> hidden doors in these places. Um, and then here comes Miss Kenton, and she sees the broom and the dustbin, and she picks it up. And she you can see she's starting to put it away. Yeah. And then she thinks, and then she puts it back down where she found it. Yeah. Now, she knows who left it there. Yes, of course she does but that's not what she says next because she goes to find anthony hopkins and says
2: mr stevens if you are searching for your dustpan it is outside on the landing my dustpan your dustpan
0: now she knows that he didn't leave it she knows who did leave it because she is trying to give him a hint yeah and she's also still pissed about that other conversation where he kind of put her underneath dad in terms of status you could learn something from him he's sort of a superior person and she's like your superior person is messing up yeah and i love the next moment is that stevens goes down to the stairs and the fact that he's picking up the dustpan just when lord darlington comes down and has to hide it there's some very funny things in this movie well he he
1: runs up those stairs because he knows it's his shame that he's trying to make sure it doesn't get found out yeah
0: can you imagine if like leaving a thing in a place was a cause for shame, like professional failure, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, well, if you leave a top a secret very... file out, you know, in intelligence, you do get in trouble for that. That's well, that Yeah, but that is a, that's <laughs> not a dustpan. I mean, like,
1: in, this, in this situation, it might be, but yeah, you're right. It makes sense, of course.
0: For some reason, I was just reminded of the fact that Yo-Yo Ma once accidentally left his $3 million Stradivarius cello in a taxi. Oh my
1: god. Oh my god.
0: <laughs> Which he got back was no oh, problem. That's good. But can you imagine that moment? <laughs> oh. I once
1: I once left a set of Bose headphones years ago in an Uber and it never came back to me and I was just despondent because of how expensive those are. Yeah. I was just for, for I mean for months I was despondent at how absent-minded I was. But no, this is also what we're going to see from Miss Kenton that she is it's just as manipulative, or just as, you know, as Mr. Stevens is. They both have their way of playing around each other or, you know, using certain moments to kind of go at each other in a way. And it's fascinating, you know. And, and I don't, and once again, I don't think it's a, from a negative place. It's more a matter of trying to exist in this world and function in this world and navigate it as best as she can.
0: Well, I think they are both, to some degree, in a struggle for dominance, you know. Sure that Stevens is trying to take the superior position to her right. and she doesn't and she continues to defend her position yeah um and that is why that is why he's attracted to her right nobody else stands up to Stevens except yeah. the except the people that have complete dominance over him that's why i
1: think the last moment of the film is the entire relationship but anyway let's, we'll yeah. go
0: forward. Um, there's a fancy dinner with some fancy lord types, and we're hearing that there's something going on with a Frenchman named Dupont, and there's <laughs> you know whether or not he's anti-German sentiment, and we're trying to set up some kind of conference. And as this is going on, and we're discussing these big affairs of state, Mister Stevens Senior is serving, and as he pours a drink, he leans over Lord Darlington, and we cut to an extreme close up of a nose. with a drop of sweat Hmm. that drips yeah (laughs) that's nasty (laughs) it is nasty um and who is also at the table but a very young hugh grant
1: yes yes cardinal playing cardinal yeah uh and he is this is one year before
0: four weddings and a funeral
1: there's so many great young british actors in this movie and british actors overall that i you know going back to see them as young people now it's kind of funny
6: I just don't see how we can associate ourselves now with the Germans, you know, with the Nazi party. They have actually torn up and trampled on every single treaty and seem to be a worse threat than ever to the whole of Europe, Uh, not to mention their brutal dictatorship at home.
0: And we hear just something about the Jews at the end of the scene. Yeah. One thing that is different in the book is it takes place over a much longer space of time. So it actually starts in the 20s, Mm. early 20s, fairly soon after the Treaty of Versailles. Uh, and whereas this actually, we're already in the 30s when it starts. And then here comes Miss Kenton because she has found another issue. She yeah. says, Mr. Stevens, was it your lordship's wish that the... And they use a word which is a derogatory word, but they don't mean it that way.
2: Mr. Stevens, was it his lordship's wish that the Chinaman from the cabinet room should be exchanged with the one outside the door?
0: Chinaman? And she wants him to come out and look and see that this thing is in the wrong place. Right. Now, does he already know that it's probably in the wrong place that she's correct yes yes does he he know why it's in the wrong place
1: yes I I just think he doesn't want to surrender as you said the dominance he
0: doesn't want to surrender ground to her well and to actually see it would mean to admit the fact that his father is not up to this job Yep. I will look into the matter in due course Miss Kenton
2: you think it might be a fantasy a fantasy on my part due to my inexperience
0: I'm busy In this room. Again, she is hitting this moment in that earlier meeting where he was condescending to her. And she's going to poke back at that until he admits it. And she goes out to wait and he closed the door. And you can see he's going like, how am I going to get out of this? Yeah. Uh, In the book, he contemplates fleeing through the French doors into the rain in order to not go outside, but then he can't figure out how to get the French doors locked from the inside after he goes, so he can't go that way. Plus, it's raining out. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's waiting. He peeks through the keyhole. She's still there. And then, you know, he does. He puts things in cabinets. Yeah. And then he just tries to go right past her (laughs) without looking. Yeah.
2: Look at it. Is that or is it not the wrong Chinaman? Miss
3: Kenton, I'm very busy, and I'm surprised that you have nothing better to do than to stand round all day.
0: I love the moment where she's like strongly says, turn around and look. And he says, I would ask you to keep your voice down. What would they think if they heard us shouting at the top of our lungs? Yeah. They're not shouting. No, no. But <laughs> <Not laughs> maybe for shouting. But maybe for that time that is shouting. Maybe. I don't know. And finally, she insists he turns around and he looks and he turns. And I love that the head is kind of bobbling, <laughs> just makes the moment funnier.
2: Your father is entrusted with more than a man of his age can cope with. I'm concerned for- Please him. let me pass. Mr. Stevens, Mr. Stevens, it was your father who left the dustpan in the middle of the floor. It is he who was leaving polish on the cutlery. It is he who has confused the Chinaman. You must recognize this before he commits a major error.
1: I'm afraid you can't talk to me like this, Miss Kenton.
2: I'm afraid I must, Mr. Stevens.
1: For Stevens and the ways presented in the movie, He has so many flaws, right? Why would you bring your older dad? What is this? Is this some kind of veiled attempt to show off to your father how well you've become as a butler? He never, he almost never compliments him, I think, in the movie about how good he is as a butler. And do you bring him back? And are you bringing him back to kind of maybe in an, not an evil way, but in a kind of way to get back at him, kind of rub it in his face that you're in charge now? Um, so just this, this stuff that's working underneath everything and also her pointing out that he's messing up is an, is an indictment on his decision to bring his father in as the underbutler. So it's, it's a, uh, you're right, Steve, it's a, it's a battle for dominance throughout and these little moments, uh, are the battlefields you know, ironic considering he doesn't want to get into any discussion about battles or politics or whatever, right. or
0: world wars, but on this level he will engage, you know? I think it's a, I think it's a double status move. And by that, I mean, it's, I think it's just what you said, that he wants his dad to see him as the great butler and Mm. which, and, but I also think he, he wants everyone else to see his dad who he has idolized on some level. Oh yeah. Like he thinks his dad is a great butler. And so the fact that dad is messing up. Yeah. Is looking poorly on him, and he doesn't sure. want to face the fact that his dad isn't the person that he thought he was. Yeah.
2: Whatever your father once was, he no longer has the same ability or strength.
0: I no, thank you for your advice, Miss Kenton.
3: Now, perhaps you will allow me to go about my business. Oh, I never meant to keep you from your business, Mr. Stevens.
0: Thank you. And he goes out through another secret door hidden in a bookshelf. Um. What's so crazy about the secret doors, which I didn't understand before, is that that's how to get to all the secret servant passages. Mm. So that because the servants aren't supposed to be seen walking through the regular halls of the house. Yep. So they have ways to disappear, walk to the next room, come out through another secret door, do their thing, go disappear again. There's a meeting in the garden. Again, we're talking about the arrival of DuPont and we hear about Congressman Lewis, which we know is Christopher Reeve is coming. And they make some jokes about him, his fortune. Apparently he's rich and This is this thing, I forget what movie we were talking about it recently, where Mm. for the aristocrats, for the upper class, people who actually made money in trades were really looked down upon. Yes, new money versus old money, right. Well, and it's also people who worked for their money instead of inherited their money. I, th- that to me is just such a. It is the opposite of how it should be. It's like, well, yeah, it's the opposite how we view it in
1: America for sure. Yeah, we people who work for their money, and we denigrate those who have everything handed to them, because of their last name or their um, wealth. Yeah. Family.
0: Well, and this is again, it's a theme in this movie because we're going to get into this idea of the amateurs. You know. Yes. What. These are people who believe they have the right to rule the world because of the position that they were born into, not because of accomplishing anything on their own. And they might be wonderful, accomplished people, but they could just be rich lords who were born into a situation. Um, so, uh,
1: and Jared a Fire. remember when he's like, I bring the future with me. When Abrams is going against Conjonky, I'll go to Lindsay Anderson yours are the archaic uh, rules of the prep schoolyard and i bring the future with me there's the difference yeah there,
0: there, there's a lot to say on this as we get to to it and while they're having this conversation we see dad with a tray making his way towards them. and you just know that something bad is going to happen and he trips on these pavers he falls he hits his head and what's and they all rush out to him and what's so messed up and sad is what is the first thing he does when he looks up into the Lord's face he apologizes to the Lord straight up yeah and what does Stevens do when he comes out he apologizes mm-hmm. like this man is injured and mm-hmm. they are apologizing for his injury interfering with the Lord's perfect afternoon
1: yeah yeah, yeah. And, and and Fox is very once again, kind and genteel, and speaks mm-hmm. to him, puts the blanket over him, says, "Please, you're all, it's okay. Don't don't worry about it." Blah blah blah. So, but it leads to the conversation later. So, yeah.
0: Well, exactly. Like he he is he he is a gentleman on yeah. a you know he does do the right things in certain ways, and he also we'll, we'll get into it because there is yeah. some very interesting stuff coming on. Mm-hmm. And just as you say, it's later on. We're back in the library, and at first he says the right things. I hope your dad's doing better, and and then he says. None of us wish to see anything of that sort ever happen again, do we? <laughs> oh, oh! And it, it could
6: happen anywhere,
0: at any time. By the way, James Fox is so good at playing awkward. Mm-hmm. He's not quite at Hugh Grant level of playing awkward. Who <laughs> <laughs> was like maybe the greatest awkward genius I could think of. Sure. But he, but his way of like, I want to say this thing. I know it's a little. I'm trying to be delicate about it. And the thing is, by the way. He is right. Dad should not be doing these jobs. Just Emma Thompson was right. He shouldn't be doing these jobs. Uh, But what he is concerned about is this big conference we're going to have. The future of Europe is is at stake, and we can't have someone making a mistake. It could yeah. it could literally change the course of history. And then we hear what his motivation is, which, he, which Lord Darlington says, I had a German friend. We fought on opposite sides of the war, and we always said when this wretched business is over, we'd sit down together. Mm-hmm. But the Treaty of Versailles made a liar of me. Um, and this is true. The Treaty of Versailles had incredibly harsh terms for the Germans. They had to pay back all the debt of basically every, of all the allied forces. Mm-hmm. Um, and it completely wrecked Germany. Yeah. And in many ways probably did lead to World War II because if Germany hadn't been totally wrecked, mm-hmm. then it wouldn't have been so unstable that Hitler could rise. Right. So, right. so there is certainly truth there.
6: Well, one doesn't do that to a defeated foe. Now, once you've got your man on the
0: canvas, that ought to be the end of it. And unfortunately, his friend killed himself. Wow. And that is his main motivation to why he wants to make a better peace with Germany. And th- and this was
1: the motivation of a lot of people who were of a certain class in Britain. Like, we look now at Neville Chamberlain and we go, oh, what an, what a fool. But at the time, there were a lot of people who felt the way Neville Chamberlain did. A lot of people in America. Don't people, people forget Germans and the Nazis came over in the 30s to try to woo Americans, try to woo... Uh, people in the in the powerful countries, uh, in essence, being sent out by Hitler and his people to see to sow the seeds of of um, dissension here and 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 push the logic that the Treaty of Versailles really messed up the German people. It was terrible towards the German people. We shouldn't have done that, and play on the guilt of it. And uh, that was an effort that was done in a number of Western countries, or actually, sorry, first world countries, uh,
0: you know, to drum up support for Hitler. Well, let me ask you this question. Yeah. If you knew nothing else, and I gave you no information at all, and I said, there is a country that is aggressive, and we need to be aggressive with them in order to stop them. Yeah. And you know nothing else, and think about American history and how many times we have said that. Yeah. Would you be for being aggressive or for more peaceful means
1: i think it's very difficult to speak of it in a hypothetical right because i'd have to know what the parameters are around the situation you know um, if you
0: take 10 think of like the last 15 mil- yeah. uses of military force okay what percentage of them do you think you would have been for <laughs> uh being a former military man a lot less than you would think a lot less than you would think and I- so yeah that's what I figured and that'd be my answer too in general in my lifetime I yeah. have been against the use of military force mm-hmm. in World War II the use of military force was absolutely right Hitler yes. what was happening with Hitler and with Japan was these are countries trying to take over the world you know in the case of Hitler's you know slaughtering millions of people in the case yes. of Japan terrible things that they were doing in China it was and yet my instinct that's why I say it's like if I know nothing, my instinct is peace. We should always yes. negotiate. We should always find ways to live together. Hmm. I don't know that I wouldn't have been Neville Chamberlain. You, you know don't what I mean? Know, oh, really? You wouldn't have well, been able I, to sense that this guy was, that it's something uh, less no, honorable mo- behind him? Mo- most people didn't know. Yeah. I mean, like, no one, I mean, like, yes, some people knew there were things going on with the Jews. A lot of people didn't. And like right now there's horrible things going on in China with the Uyghurs you know, mm-hmm. you know, or Hong Kong, horrible things. Yeah. And we're not attacking them. We're right. go, we got business deals with them. Right. You know, it's like the, it, it, so I would hope, I would absolutely hope that I would recognize what Hitler was and say, no, no, this is a case we need right. to go deal with this guy. Right. But my instincts are always towards peace. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that's who, that's more who I am. Fair. Um, uh, uh, Saying that they are beautiful landscape shots and, and, Cinematography in this movie is going to be redundant, but there are a lot of them. Yes, there are. Um, and again, behind the scenes, the wood cellar and the kid, you know, like all the fireplaces we have to keep burning and all the washing that has to be done, this massive staff of people that have to keep this place going the way they keep it going. Right. Um, And then we go to find Dad, who is sitting awake in his room.
3: I might have known you'd be up and ready for the day.
0: I've been up for two hours. This scene is so... Um, brusque and uncomfortable. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> because he doesn't and by the way, in the book it's much worse. Oh really? Much worse. He because Stevens is just he doesn't call he calls him I was wondering if my father would would consider this. You know, it's mm. it's such a formal he never talks to him like a person. Yeah. And his father never talks to Stevens like a person.
3: I've um I've come to talk to you about something.
0: We'll talk then. i
3: Have got
6: all morning.
0: They have this totally formal relationship and basically he's telling him that they, that he no longer is going to be serving at table. I've, I've waited at table every day for the last 54 years. because this is his identity mm-hmm. you know just as it's just as much as it's his son's yeah and rather than react to that emotional admission. There's a pause. Again, we watch Anthony Hopkins acting just in silence, yeah. and then he says, "Here's a revised list of your duties."
6: I fell
1: because of those paving stones. A crooked. Why are not you to put right before someone else does the same thing? It's an old man's defense, Steve. Yep. it's not. I'm not losing a step. No, it, it was the. You know, it was. It's not, I was uh, distracted by this or that, and then he turns it around on his son. And appeals and, and tries to embarrass him by saying, "You don't want those nice lords and ladies tripping over there. Like he's immediately yeah. goes into his lower, uh, re, like you said, lower region accent or lower uh, lower class accent, and goes at him in a dig, you know, to try to take the attention away from his uh, clearly advancing age um, and inability to do the job like he used to be able to do. And look, everybody has this. I think most people have this reaction when it starts to fall oh, apart. Yeah. Like, no, I can still do it. And you you fucking can't, and and that's a hard thing to accept. As all of us get older, shit, there's stuff I can't bend down with my legs, like I can't go down on my, uh, like I used to anymore. Because every time I get up, it's cracks and bells and whistles yeah. and pain in the lower back, and I'm like, when the hell did this happen? You know? So it's just crazy.
0: I had it this is off the topic, but I I had a, a a realization a few months ago, yeah, which is I so I haven't done aikido in a year because. Mm. You know, we don't get together and do that. Right. I've also had basically no back pain in a year. <laughs> oh. And very little knee pain. Wow. And, I, and I've and i gone, oh, I don't think I'm going to be doing Aikido. Because Aikido is <sighs> all falls and rolls. Yeah, yeah. Dude. You know, it's like I could teach and I could right. do some of it. I'm trying to negotiate in my head, like, <laughs> because walking around in really bad back pain it sucks. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
1: I've heard you talk about it, bro. I know. I yeah. hear you. But that's the truth, right? It's one of the fears I have. I'm going to go back into lifting weights very soon. And one of the fears I have is I'll be back in joint pain and knee issues and what have you. But, you know, it's the exchange is feeling
0: stronger. So yeah, it's it's, it's tough. It's yeah, I, know. I know. <laughs> Emma Thompson is standing out at the window and she looks out and sees Mr. Stevens Sr out where he fell, and she calls Stevens over.
2: Mr. Stevens.
0: And together they look out the window, and of course this is the poster. This is the image of the poster. Yes. Yeah, which is great. And what they see is a man practicing walking across those pavers.
1: Yeah. It is such a sad image. It is. And where, where they had had the battle before, I think there's a sense in both of them in that moment that there's almost a sympathy, a slight sympathy for Mr. Stevens Sr., and what he's doing, uh, a sadness, you know? Yeah.
0: And then we cut to a cart and some mops. And he's oh, explaining more. Like, it's so weird. Oh. Like, oh, these are my mops. <laughs> these are me oh. brushes. Yeah. And he's digging at him.
1: He's digging. Oh, at yeah, him too. Yeah. Oh,
0: God. And then and then he just takes off <laughs> and yeah. starts doing stuff. Yeah. Um. Now we get to the prep for the big conference stevens makes a big speech about history is going to be made here and we see these great sort of superimpositions of the work that's being done um by the way the second unit director who filmed all this montage is uh ismail merchant who oh, shot all wow. this stuff that's cool um and we see mahogany being shined and we see beds being made and we see dead birds and bottles of wine and um and a car pulls up and there's christopher reeve And then Stephen goes to see Lord Darlington. And first he informs him that Congressman Lewis has arrived early. And then we get into a conversation about his godson, which, of course, is the Hugh Grant character, Cardinal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, And he says, I feel very responsible for the boy. His father was my closest friend. And now that he's gone, I feel a place of a father for the boy. And we hear that he's getting engaged. Stevens, I uh, realize this is a somewhat irregular thing to
6: ask you to do. I should be very glad to be of any assistance, my lord. You are familiar, I take it, with the facts of life? My lord? The facts of life, Stevens. Birds, bees. I mean, you are familiar, aren't you? I'm afraid I don't quite follow you, sir.
1: <laughs> <laughs> such a
0: great... Uh, by the way, dad is in the, <sighs> uh, oh, Cardinal's in the book. Cardinal's dad... Oh. Is not, he's alive. He's not okay. dead in the book. And okay. he passed the buck to Lord Darlington, said, well, you're his godfather. Why don't you have the birds and the bees talk with him? Jesus goes so It's a double pass in the book here. It's only a single one. And he says, well, let me put my cards on the table, Stevens.
6: I'm so frightfully busy with this conference. Of course, you're very busy too. But someone has to tell him. In a way, it would be easier for you
1: and the way fox uh, sorry james fox uh, kind of does this is so you know yes as caring as he is of stevens there are certain moments where he takes advantage of the relationship with stevens and this is one of those moments right because he he is it's a funny scene when you understand what the hell he's asking him to do but it's also kind of kind of tragic too that he is put upon to do this by the lord because the lord doesn't want to do it and later uh uh when he is being asked his opinions about political affairs by those men in the room uh lord darlington doesn't stop them and they're essentially making fun of him and it's terrible so there are moments where darlington is not as civil or nice or compassionate or kind as you think he is yeah i
0: I 100% agree i think he's it's that, you know, it's the terribleness that comes with privilege. He doesn't know what he's doing is because he, he you know, he walks in a bubble of I'm a great man, mm. you know, and yes, he, he deep down knows that what he, you know, asking your butler yeah. to, to, to say the facts of life to your godson is messed up and he yeah. knows it's Agreed. messed up and it is totally out of cowardice. Yeah. He, yeah, he is too scared and awkward to do this. So he just passes the buck and watching again, Hopkins sort of, Take this in, um, and and he doesn't resist. You know, he because his job, again, there's a tiger under the table. Yeah, his job is just to deal with it. Right. You know. Yep. yep. Good point. Three um, shots. <laughs> yep, and we go out to the garden, <laughs> and he startles Hugh Grant. Oh, God. It's, it's a really funny scene. Yes, this scene is, this scene
1: is exquisite because like Hugh Grant is he's caught smoking. Uh, and they're having this back. And Hugh has so much respect for him; you can tell as, as the, you know the characters that they're playing. And Hopkins is talking. Oh, sorry, Stevens is talking all around what he's. I mean, you see him stumbling to try to have this conversation. He's trying. How can a guy who is in who cannot tell you his actual feelings about anything going to have a legitimate discussion about the birds and bees with a man who's probably already had multiple sexual encounters? It is absolutely funny, but once again, it's this disconnect between the older generation and the younger generation, right? And he, uh, James Fox's character, Lord Donson believes that this conversation needs to be had before Cardinal is engaged, which is ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. You know? Yeah,
0: because Hugh Grant is not young; he's no. not. A, he's not <laughs> he's a lad; he's he's an adult. Yeah, a uh, couple things about this. I I, I love just the language that is used all the stuff of you know
3: but i do have something to convey to you rather urgently and if i may be permitted i'll come straight to the point um perhaps you will have noticed this morning sir the ducks and the geese by the pond ducks and geese no i don't think it
0: so, <laughs> <laughs> it's just all so oh, funny and, so the, and the other thing here's another question for you yeah is steven's a virgin St- yeah ab- a thousand percent he's a virgin a
1: thousand percent,
0: he's the virgin. Yes, I think so too. Yeah. So he actually doesn't know the facts of life, you know what I mean? Yeah, like right. So, who is he to explain it to Hugh Grant? That's a yeah. great point. Yeah, absolutely. I love uh, Hugh Grant, just can't help being funny at this oh era in his career. I'm more of a fish man myself. Fish, sir, yes, I know all about fish, fresh water, and salt.
3: <laughs>
1: ah,
3: well, all living creatures would be relevant to our discussion, sir. <laughs>
1: Um, do you take that in any way other than the way it's intended? Do you take that in any other way other than what's it's intended? Because, I mean, you can play it a certain way, fish. salt, so, so, like, the women I have sex with and the women I marry, like the difference between mm. the two. I don't know if you take it that, that way or not. I, never, never occurred to me. But... <laughs> salt, Saltier fish versus more uh, freshwater okay. fish. I'm just saying. It's maybe different.
0: <laughs> I don't know. That seems like a lot. I will call Kazuo Ishiguro up. Yeah, please and, and do. Ask him if that was symbolic. Um, And, of course, what ends the conversation is that we hear that DuPont, the the French representative, has shown up, and he has problems with his feet. Yes. And while he's trying to get some warm water and salt, Christopher Reeve, uh, Congressman Lewis, is trying to talk to him because he thinks this conference is going in the wrong direction. And what we've heard is that DuPont is sort of the anti-German person. That's what we've heard. And Lewis is trying to talk to him. More people arrive. There are more servants bringing in trunks. Um, We're at the beginning of this conference and Stevens, of course, is serving. And they are saying, look, it's in our interest to have a strong Germany. We've been trying to keep Germany weak. And you could see Christopher Reeve is not very suspicious of this,
1: like an American fidgeting around in his chair, wants to give his opinion. Yeah, juxtaposed juxtapose to Stevens, who won't say a word about anything. Here's Christopher Reeve, who's the kind of the anti-Stevens, who wants to, you know, tell you what he
0: feels about it uh, overall. Again, uh, Dupont wants to needs to soak his feet again. Again, <laughs> Lewis is trying to talk to him. You and I are going to have to do some pretty fast maneuvering back there if we want to restrain the Germans. So we know that. Lewis and from him, the U S is concerned about Nazis and concerned about rising military in Germany. Yeah. And Stevens of course is overhearing some of this discussion. Yeah. And as this is going on, Stevens gets called that his father has taken ill. And so he goes and finds his father. And this is exactly as it's described in the book Hmm. at his cart, kneeling almost frozen slumped slumped over yeah and hopkins i know i'm just going to keep saying how amazing yeah. he is in this film um and he has to peel his fingers off of the cart it's to get him to let go
1: such a symbolic moment don't you think yeah, steve like absolutely. these these people at this time certainly stevens's father were essentially conditioned to work until they died and they held that job and a lot of people still do, Steve, in our world. I mean, my, my father was going to keep working for another two years before he got cancer. Like he was, he had determined, he was determined. You know, my mom just recently retired from from cutting hair at 75 years old. Wow. It's just that holding on because the work in essence becomes your meaning. Um, and the, the generations now are pushing back against that, changing that in, in some way. But for a lot of the working class, the job is meaning. You know, and so you have to essentially pry their cold, dead
0: hands off the job um, uh, before they're willing to leave. You know, I would say, yeah, I, I, I 100% agree with you. And I think it's mm. it, it's beyond meaning, it's identity. It is, yeah. this is who I am. You know, yeah. it's funny, it's a conversation Karen and I have had. And I remember having this conversation with Karen's dad. Karen's mm. dad, uh, when they had fish markets when they lived in New Jersey, right. and he would tell people, my job is a fish mart, is, is as a fishmonger. Right. I am not a fishmonger. And then they moved to California and they had a restaurant. And he, he would say, my job is I run a restaurant. I am not yeah. the restaurant. That's not who I am. That's awesome. And I remember talking to me, it's like, I'm a writer. Like I so much more identify with my work you know, so maybe mm-hmm. I'd be one of those people clutching on with my hands to this podcast, John. <laughs> you know, you're going to have to pry my hands off the mic or the keyboard <laughs> or something. Yeah, well. Mrs.
2: Divas, yes. I have more time than you at the moment. I'll look after him. I've called the doctor.
3: Thank you.
0: It's, it's so interesting watching this very combative relationship, but how much genuine care she has for him. Yeah. And the doctor says that he's not good. And that if he deteriorates, let me know. And Hopkins is left alone for a moment. And he has to put himself back together because mm-hmm. he has to go do the job. Yeah. Because there are bells ringing, and people pulling cords, and servants bringing clothes. And we're chopping the head off of ducks. Which, <laughs> by the way, that is Ismail Merchant chopping the head off the duck because the woman playing the cook refused to do it. <laughs> so he did it. <laughs> we're at the table and watching anthony hopkins and charlie measure exact distances for the silverware and the china and the that's just mm. crazy to me that's the life yeah
1: that's all through downton abbey by the way i don't know if you've yeah. seen it yet steve i've Maybe never watched all, it yeah that's i know it's all great. those moments are all through downton abbey
0: yeah but by the way they had a, a steward of the queen of the queen's house from buckingham palace was their advisor on this. That's awesome. Trying helping them make sure everything was just right. And Stevens goes up to visit his dad. This scene is different in the book. Oh. Um interesting. so dad is asking how everything is going downstairs and everything's in hand. Um he asks how he's feeling. Um and dad says there's something I have to tell you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And Stevens does not want to hear it. <laughs> I have so much
3: to do, Father. Why don't we talk in the morning?
0: Jim. And this is what's not in the book. I fell out of
3: love with your mother.
6: I loved her once. love went out of me. And I found her carrying on.
0: That is not in the book. Wow. And I really wonder why, because you said before, this is a crazy thing to admit. Yeah at this last moment to just drop this bombshell.
5: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And then he says, you are a good son. I'm proud of you. And he's looking at his hands, which is what, which is definitely in the book.
6: Yeah. I have been a good father to you.
1: Tried my best. Did he though? Did he though? Steve, I don't know if I had this moment with my dad. I don't know if you had that moment with your dad, a final conversation or whatever. And it's, it, it's, it's, you don't want to have it because you sense that it could be the last one yeah. and it makes it too real. So when Stevens is saying, we'll talk in the morning, we'll talk in the morning, that's his way of delaying it. My father had to drag me into mm. his bedroom in the house before I left on the plane to have the final conversation with me. I didn't want to have it. And he yanked right. me. He's like, no, we're going to talk about this. And I'm just like, ah, fuck. And it broke me because he died four days later, you know, and I never spoke but to I, him
0: again. It was uh, but I I bet in that conversation, I mean, you've told me about it before. Yeah, he did not admit to cheating on my mom, right? Well, A, he didn't admit to that. <laughs> and B, I bet that you were emotionally available no, for of him. Course. We both were. Yes. Yeah. Very much so. Steve, the only thing Stephen does in the movie is he touches him very gently. He tries, yeah, he touches his hand, but just, and this is
1: so powerful just when he is trying to make an emotional connection with his father which i imagine this is a small window to numerous attempts by mr stevens to have a emotional connection with his father throughout his whole life his father immediately goes better get downstairs got a lot of stuff to do better go do that don't worry about me he's, he's immediately pushing away uh, any attempt to uh, share emotion because from a guy like that maybe from that time emotion is weakness and of course we know that's not the true the truth nowadays but certainly in that in that time frame that's what was thought and certainly in Britain uh and so when he has that moment it pushes him away it's so ironic literally seconds ago he was saying I hope I was a good father to you and then here's an attempt here's a moment where he could be and he immediately pushes him out it's like
0: oh it's rough so this is, I would say the this moment is the key difference between the book and the movie, hmm. which is in the book, dad doesn't kick him out. No. Dad is trying to connect. He's the one who's trying wow. to make the emotional connection. And Stevens is so cold to his father. Hmm. And, and what's interesting, cause you're in Stevens's head and it's a very, you know, we talked about unreliable narrators in various hmm. stories. It's not that Stevens is an unreliable narrator. It's that, it's very uncomfortable to be in his brain because you can feel him continually rationalizing (laughs) everything that has happened and what, and sort of making it make sense why he did what he did. And he's so delusional about what he's, he's not delusional. He is, he is deluding himself, you know, like consciously. So it's very like frustrating in the book He is much, I think in the movie you have more sympathy for Stevens than you do in the book. Hmm. Yeah. In the book, it's sort of at the end, it's like, oh, this, this guy is just, you know, it's just really sad that he didn't understand what he didn't understand anything about his whole life. We're in the dining room, there is incredible splendor. Hmm. Um, By the way, uh, one of the things uh, Hopkins asked this guy from the queen, the butler for the queen, do you have any advice for me? And the guy said, yes, here's my advice. When a butler is in the room, it should seem more empty than when the butler isn't in the room wow that's great yeah and hopkins and you could feel it like their job is to be invisible like and it's funny in the those patrick o'brien books that i've read many times that i love when they have these dinners there is a servant standing behind each person at the dinner huh you know and they just job is to stand there and to pretend that they're not listening to everything right I just can't imagine that just feels all of this feels so invasive into my space. Like, (laughs) leave me alone. I'll pick up the fork. Don't worry about it. It's okay. Just go away. That's because you're not Um, a sociopath. Yeah. (laughs) uh, Yeah. Um, And we, there's a woman there who's German and very happy that there's such goodwill for Germany and (laughs) Congressman Lewis is not so happy. And Dupont, our French person, stands up. The person who we've heard is the most anti-German person, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he surprisingly is all for it. I promise you that I shall do
3: my utmost to change the policy of my country towards that nation which was once our foe, but is now, I may venture to say, our friend.
0: <laughs> and everyone toasts and cheers and applause. And then Lewis reacts and he stands up. So this is very different in the book. In the book, this is in the 20s, not the 30s. And this Mm -hmm. is Senator Lewis, who is not the same person who bought the house. Two different characters. And he is a drunken asshole. (laughs) So as opposed to a sympathetic character. And he says,
4: The United States doesn't want war any more than you do. On the other hand, neither would we care for peace at any price. But let's not get into that now. We may all have to soon enough. For the moment, let us simply raise our glasses to Lord Darlington.
0: And everyone toasts and everyone's happy and he sits down and then he stands back up. He can't let it go, can he? Can't (laughs) let it go. And then, and I think this speech, like the tiger story, is key to the whole movie.
4: Yeah. Lord Darlington is a classic English gentleman of the old school. Decent and... Honorable and well-meaning. So are all of you here, all decent and honorable and well-meaning gentlemen.
0: It reminds me of uh, Julius Caesar of Mark Antony's speech. (laughs) Brutus is an honorable man. So are you all, all honorable men. And we cut to Stevens listening to this or maybe not listening.
4: But, now excuse me, I have to say this. You are, all of you, amateurs. And international affairs should never be run by gentlemen amateurs. Do you have any idea of what sort of a place the world is becoming all around you? The days when you could just act out of your noble instincts are over. Europe has become the arena of realpolitik, the politics of reality.
1: What is this term realpolitik? I hear it all the time. Or not all the time, but when I explore the idea of politics, um... Do you, do you have a definition for that in your mind when you hear the term realpolitik?
0: My understanding is it's basically, it's not doing politics based on lofty ideals. It is the nuts and bolts, facts and okay. figures down and dirty politics. Okay. Um, you know, it's, uh, I'm looking at a definition here. It says, uh, yeah. Real politics is pol- or diplomacy is based primarily on considerations of given circumstances and factors rather than the explicit ideological notions or moral and ethical premises. In this respect, it shares aspects of its philosophical approach with those of realism and pragmatism.
1: Yeah, Britannica has as real politics suggests a pragmatic, no nonsense view and a disregard for ethical consideration. So is he saying that real is what Hitler is doing, real politics? no care for ethics uh to them it's about survival to him it's about he wants to control the world or is he saying that i come from the actual nuts and bolts politics and i know what hitler's doing and the way we need to deal with hitler is not the way you guys want to do it with this idea that he is going to play by the rules
0: you know and um i sense that that's where he's coming from yeah I, I think it, yeah, I think it's the latter. I think it's the, it's fine, which, you know, and this is the balance in politics between idealism and practicality. I mean, we see that that is every single day. Yeah. Um. And, and you know, you can't actually rule entirely by ideals. You know, no, no. like you have to, like, there's a way to do it. You have to make compromises. You have to, and, and the thing is, is like, it would be nice to believe that Germany wants to be our friends, mm-hmm. but they don't, they're actually using you. And by the way, the one person that's important that they cut to is Hugh Grant's character. Yeah. He is the one who's really hearing this. You need professionals to run your affairs. You're headed for disaster.
4: So I propose a toast, gentlemen, to the professionals.
0: And no one else toasts. (laughs) And at this moment, which is very dramatic in terms of the politics, in comes Charlie. And just as Lord Darlington stands up and, and Stevens reaches in to grab his chair, Charlie says, Mr. Stevens. Yeah. And, there's, and you watch, again, all the, at play, I'm trying to be the invisible servant, and this guy is talking to me, and he probably knows what it's about.
6: Well, I've no wish to enter into a quarrel on this our last evening together. But let me say this. What you describe as amateurism is what I think most of us here still prefer to call honor.
0: And while he's making this speech... Charlie whispers, your father. Yeah.
6: And I suggest that your professionalism means greed and power, rather than to see justice and goodness prevail in the world.
0: And while this is happening, you're watching Anthony Hopkins take in what he's hearing about his father. This is the tiger under the table. Now his father is the tiger. His ideal, what dignity means, is to perfectly do his job despite... The tremendous personal tragedy that is happening. Despite whatever emotions he might be feeling, he must be the perfect butler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lord Darlington goes to sit down and he pushes his chair in for him and he leaves. And it's so, and this is what this this movie is: this contrast between the big things, Hitler, Nazis, world politics, and the personal things, the small yep. things, the life of your father. I want to say one thing before we go to the okay. next scene and dad. The idea of the Lord, the saying, you're talking about greed and power. Mm -hmm. It's like, this is (laughs) the class of people who (laughs) have ruled by inheritance for centuries. Of course. who Literally surrounded by servants doing their every bidding, deciding things of the world. And this is what's, what do you think you guys are all about? Yeah. What is
1: the British empire? Like, come on. The thing is when you're born into it it's hard to see that this is that there's a hypocrisy in the words that you're saying cuz this is how it's always been. So why is this wrong what I'm doing, you know? So but yeah I'm mean, certainly there were lords who bristled against that idea a- at the time but certainly James Fox is not one of them. And no. and as we hear earlier as we heard earlier it is because of his friend and his friend's suicide. It is a right. misguided attempt to make up to his friend what happened to him and somehow he takes the responsibility for his country for that and it's that's feel that's uh feeling yourself to be more important than you
0: actually are you know yeah yeah it it's so there's a expression i know i've said on the show before this comes from hoover my partner on the documentaries who says i don't know who invented water but it certainly wasn't a fish (laughs) that's great and that, and this is the thing they you know, this is the water the Lord swims in. He swims in a world of power and privilege and everyone kowtowing to him all the time. That's his, yeah. work, and that everything that he says must be the right thing. It must yeah. be the important thing because, and this is the difference with Lewis and professional politics, I think, is that it's not because of what he has done or what his skills are. It's because of who he was born to be. Mm-hmm. Mr. Stevens,
2: I'm very sorry. Your father passed away four minutes
3: ago. Oh, I see.
0: No emotional reaction.
2: come up and see him?
3: Well, I'm very busy at the moment, Miss Kenton. In a
0: little while, perhaps. And then I uh, just think this is an amazing line.
2: Will you permit me
1: to close his eyes?
0: I would be most grateful, Miss Kenton. Thank you. Do you think that she knew that he wouldn't go up to see his father? It's a
1: good question. Um... I imagine she probably suspected it was a possibility. It's a busy night. It's an important night. Um, she has had enough exposure to him to understand that he's an emotionally repressed person, or at least maybe conceive of the concept that he's emotional. I don't know how well people were aware of that back then, but certainly to conceive of it, maybe. Um, but no, I don't think she expected him to go up, to be honest with you. Not until later.
0: Uh, yeah, I don't think she did either. And... Mm. He says, that would be most grateful. Thank you. And she starts to go, and then he stops her and says...
3: Uh, My father would wish me to carry on with my work. I can't let him down.
0: First of all, do you think that's true? Do you think his father would have wanted him to carry on with the work? I think think he believes that. I do. I think so. Yes. Is it right or not? I don't know. But I think he believes that.
1: But then remember earlier in the scene, he said, there's a lot of people waiting on you. Go down there. Go down there. So maybe... I kind
0: of think he might have, because his father's the guy who told the tiger story. Right. And his father doesn't want anybody to make a fuss about him either. That's right. Yeah, Yeah. that's right, too. It's so funny. And I remember having this thought when I first saw it. And when I first found out this was written by a Japanese guy or a Japanese British guy, is that there's something about Stevens that reminds me of the samurai, is that everything is about duty. You know, whatever the Lord says you got to do. All honor comes from you doing what you are told to do to fulfill this role. And right now he is putting his personal tragedy aside to serve his Lord, you know, in the way that he's supposed to. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's the German woman is singing. By the way, she could not lip sync to the music because you you know the music is pre recorded and she just couldn't do it and they couldn't get it in sync. And as soon as they said that, and I watch it again, I'm like, oh yeah, this is not. They they could yeah. never quite make it work. Um, <laughs> Lewis is not into it. No. Hugh Grant is not into it. Um, but Lord Darlington is very moved, and Stevens yeah. is there, and there's moments where he's almost frozen. Yeah. You know. There's moments where you could see him overwhelmed by the emotions and just frozen in space. And then he snaps to life. Yeah. Fulfilling the role. His father died.
1: This is the thing. Yeah. As we watch these scenes, Steve here now in this, in this, in this section of the movie, I know what it's like to walk, to, 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 to walk in a daze. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Trying to do the normal things after your father has passed, or you get the news that your father has passed. He is doing that. He is trying to keep it together but this is his actual emotion bursting through and he is struggling with it for the first time we see for real
0: his his struggle with the emotion of because it's such a cataclysmic event it, it's there's certainly times where there's been a huge thing going on for me mm-hmm. and then I've had to go have to do the normal life stuff you yep. know like talk to people and you know whatever business things go to work talk to my boss you know I've right. had to do those things and compartmentalize the horrible thing that I'm also dealing with. Yeah. But in all of those circumstances, there was a time where I didn't have to compartmentalize, and I could deal with my grief. You know, right. and talk Absolutely. to the people. You know, when my dad died, or whatever these mm-hmm. situations are. Mm-hmm. Stevens will never deal with it. Yeah. Right. He's not only comp- has to compartmentalize right now, but it's gonna just stay in the compartment. Yeah. Forever. Yeah. Um. And, of course, who wants to come up and talk to him but but uh, Cardinal, but Hugh Grant. The other thing, by the way, about his character that I think is interesting is because he is of the later generation. Mm-hmm. He sees Stevens as a human. Wow! Well, like yeah. someone, I actually think he genuinely does like Stevens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's I trying to connect you. with him as a real person. Yep, yep. No one else of that class is trying to connect with Stevens or the servants as real people. Yeah. And he's talking about fish.
3: That was I said before. My main interest is always being fish.
0: (laughs) And what's so interesting is these lines are going to be repeated pretty much verbatim later in the movie. He notices that Stevens is not quite with it. And he says, are you all right?
3: Yes, I'm perfectly all right. Thank you. Not feeling unwell. No,
1: a little tired, perhaps.
0: Uh, What I wrote down on my notes here is that Hopkins' ability to play layers is amazing.
1: Yeah. I mean, just phenomenal. And Fox... Uh, or Lord Darlington uh, t- <laughs> tries to sympathize with him by saying, "Yes, it's been a tough day for all of us. It's been a yeah. you know hard day for all of us." Like, man, were you serving? You were just entertaining right. and having conversations. Don't get me wrong; I know that it can be exhausting, but certainly you're not serving and attending and having your father. Just, of course, he doesn't know that, but still, he doesn't know that. The idea of you know all the physical work. That he was doing the whole time to make it all go off. But him
0: trying I mean, to sympathize. I'll, I'll give know. him a little sympathy in that he's negotiating world politics. And that's, you know, <laughs> difficult. But I guess. he, I, 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 well, here's something, something I was going to bring up. I wasn't sure mm-hmm. where, but this seems like a good point. Is that there is a difference between a servant and an employee. Yeah. You know, and that these are servants. Right. Yes. Like, like I can hire someone to clean my house. Mm-hmm. But they're not my servant, right? You know what I mean. They're a human, and I treat them as a human. I yes. treat them. You know, we're the same. It's that that happens to be the job that they're doing. This mm-hmm. happens to be the job. I know that their job is difficult. I know that I have I have cleaned my house. I know what it's like to clean a house. Yes, and they are not beneath me, right? Whereas a servant is a completely different thing, right? And it's so dehumanizing. Mm-hmm. The 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 because literally, quite literally. Lord Darlington believes that he is superior to Stevens. Yes. Yes. And Stevens believes that Lord Darlington is superior to him. Yep. And that he, on some level, even though this isn't slavery, he belongs to Lord Darlington. His identity is, is I am the butler to Lord Darlington. Yep. As opposed to, this is my job. A thousand percent. A thousand percent. Yeah. Um, and by the way, the conversation with Darlington is—you know—it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's another again word for word that might that comes up later.
6: All right, Stevens? Uh, yes, perfectly, my lord. So you were uh, coming down with a cold or something? Yes, it's um, been a long day.
0: Stevens now later talking to the doctor, who says he's suffered a stroke and it wouldn't have been much pain. And he says, "Thank you for telling me." And Stevens touches his dad's face with the back of his hand. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's significant, too, because mm-hmm. it's a very distant way of touching.
1: Yes, it is. But also, he's checking it for himself. You know, I had that moment mm. where I, you know, I made them pull out my father's body from the morgue so I could see him when we wow. went uh, when I flew in that night. And they don't normally do that, but I, my, I would not be told no. Uh, and I had to see it for myself. I had to see it for myself. And so in that moment, he is experiencing seeing his father's which this body that had so much life in it. Up until this moment for him, his touching, you're right, it's a bit distant. But he also keeps his hand above his face to see if maybe some breath is coming out of his father's mouth or nose. So it's not real to him until he touches it and sees it for himself. And so it's a little, it's a subtle moment. As you said, Hopkins is so brilliant here with these little moments that
0: can indicate something more going on here. So it's him processing
1: the reality of the loss of his father.
0: Well, and in the next moment, he looks at his hands, which is exactly what his dad was doing right before. he. And to me, that's something about like, these are the hands that I do my job with. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, By the way, uh, I don't know if I'll put this in, but uh, I saw, we we had like a viewing of my dad's body too, which Mm -hmm. I'm not. I'm not in those. I don't like those things so much. Yeah. But so here's what happened. (laughs) So they asked my mom, what clothes does he want to be buried in? And it's like, does he have a suit? And, And my mom thought about it. And she's like, well, he has suits, but you know, that's not really his identity. Like his identity, what he loved were Cal football and basketball games and the San Francisco Giants. And so she said, put him in She gave him them a cow t-shirt. I'm sorry, a Giants t-shirt and a cow like Hawaiian button down shirt, like a short sleeve button down shirt and a Giants baseball cap. (laughs) So when I go to have the viewing, they had what she expected was that he would have the t-shirt underneath and then unbuttoned would be this sort of Hawaiian button down shirt. Right. But they put it on the other way. So they put the Hawaiian button down shirt on with a t-shirt over it. Yeah. and put the Giants baseball cap on. And it looks so stupid.
5: And and so we walked in and
0: I just cracked up. I mean, because it's such a surreal, it's an emotional thing. And they had done this mistake. And then, and we're sitting, you know, because we're in this room with a body at the funeral home. And and then the funeral director, there's papers to sign. Because you always have to sign a whole bunch of papers and documents. Yeah. And, you know, the guy dressed in black and very serious and somber says, you know, we have these papers to sign. And would you like to come to our office? And my uncle Russell, who's my dad's brother, very moved. And he was like, he was trying to say, I would like to stay here for a moment before we sign the papers. Then we'll go to the office. But the funeral director heard that as I want to sign the papers in this room. Oh, so then he brought all this paperwork to the room. And my dad's body is right next to us. ah. And we're having to, with a baseball cap and the t-shirt. And and it took a while. It was like 25 minutes, you know, to sign all the paperwork. They're like, you know, do you want to pay for this thing or this thing? And we'll take credit cards and, you know, like whatever the whole thing was. Yeah. And I couldn't stop laughing. I mean, I was like trying to keep it together. And yeah. of course it was because I was emotional and I was sad. But it just, the yeah. situation. sometimes, you know, these situations could be so surreal. Yeah. You know, when you go through them. It, it's also it's fascinating to me. And again, I don't know if I'll put any of this in, but at least in my experience, there is a real connection between laughter and grief. Yeah. You know, like you tell the stories and you and you laugh, yeah. or at least in my experience, that's what it's been. Yeah. Anyway, that's how you deal with it.
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. My, like I, after my father's wake, my four friends took me out to the TGI Fridays and we just sat right. around Talking about stories of my dad, but also talking about stories, their remembrances of my father, of dealing with my father, and when talking to him and all of that, so and the jokes and the weird things my dad would say, like the Beatles brought drugs to this country, like all these weird things in my dad, and so and but you laugh about it because that's the way to
0: process it, and it's also a way to honor the memory. To be honest with
1: you, you know, so yeah,
0: well, and it's this not easy. is, and maybe this is why I'm going to keep that whole, this whole thing in mm. because none of this happens for Stevens. Right, none of this. Yeah, good there's point. no processing. There's no stories about dad. There's no. Yeah. We're just gonna do our job. Yeah, you know, there's no room for any of that. And even at this moment of in the room with his dead father and the doctor, he goes immediately back to duty to the French guy whose feet yeah. hurt and wants to see the doctor mm-hmm. because. And I and I actually think in Stevens's mind, that French guy's feet is more important than his dead father. Mm. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, I'll take you to him. If it's urgent.
3: Yes, it is urgent. The gentleman is in pain. Mr. Stevens, my condolences. Thank you, Miss Kenton. It is most kind of you.
0: So I went back and timed it. And from the moment Stevens enters the room with the body of his father, until he turns to the doctor to bring up the subject of Dupont's blistered feet, is exactly 41 seconds. Forty-one seconds is all the time he gives himself to mourn for his father before returning to his duty, because that is how Stevens defines himself. His father is the tiger in the dining room, and his death must not, under any circumstances, interfere with his lord's evening, because that is what gives the butler's life meaning. And as Stevens turns his back on his father's body, It's a good time for us to end part one of our exploration of the remains of the day. As always, we want to hear what you think of this incredible film. Just visit our Facebook page, do a search for The Cinephiles, or you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube. Leave your comments on YouTube. We love hearing them. Please, please, please leave your reviews on Apple Podcasts if you haven't done it already it continues to be the best way for people to find our podcast. As always, you can buy or stream The Remains of the Day along with every other movie we've ever reviewed at cinefiles.net. You can support the show at patreon.com slash thecinefiles. And you can follow the show on Twitter at Cine_Files underscore files. On Instagram at the Podcast. You can follow me at SRMorris on Twitter, SRMorris1 on Instagram. Of course, John, you can find at the Roca Says on Twitter and on Instagram. And of course, don't forget to follow John on his YouTube channel where he has shows on everything from politics to wrestling to my favorite show, The Geek Buddies. There's amazing content there and you don't want to miss it. So that's it for this week. We'll be back next Friday with part two of our exploration of Remains of the Day on The Cinephiles.